Hey, we're glad to have you here with us today at One Chapel. We're a church in Kyle that helps people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. You can learn more about One Chapel and the things God is doing here at onechapel.com. Now, here's this week's message. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. God, it is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our path. And so, Lord, this morning, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would be here. God, that your word would um, just penetrate all the places in our heart that are dark and that need more of you. God, we give this morning to you. Speak through me. God, let it not be my words, but let it be yours. In Jesus' name. Everyone said. Amen. Amen. All right. Over the past two years, Misty and I kind of moved down here, and then we've gone through a lot of life change. We moved here, started a job, lived with my parents for six months. Woo! Woo! Um, then we kind of bought a house, we started a business, and in the midst of all that, we had, a lot of you know, we had two miscarriages, and that was really difficult to work through. Uh, we had to work through the disappointment of, you know, God not he- answering our prayers, not healing our babies, uh, not, not coming through in the way that we wanted him to. We had to work through the shame and secrecy of, you know, all that that brings and um, we just wanted God to fix our circumstances. And, um, and so, but I'm happy to report that we are now pregnant with our first baby. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the Lord has been faithful. He is so good. And he is blessing us. Um, and it's a healthy pregnancy. Everything's going good. I don't know what I'm going to do with a girl, but I guess I'll figure it out. <laughs> when she gets here. But the thing about pregnancy is that everyone's like, oh, it's so beautiful. You have, the, you have a miracle of life growing inside of you. You're glowing, right? It's a beautiful thing. But what they don't tell you about pregnancy is that it's also pain and misery and sickness. And don't get me wrong, we are so grateful for the Lord blessing us. We didn't know it was going to be like this. And, um, and so, you know, and it's just because she's been sick for six months now, throwing up every day, being nauseous, and she can't eat anything, right? And I haven't had pizza in forever. And, um, <laughs> and so, um, and I'm, I'm just, you're just kind of like, Lord. I know you're all knowing, but don't you think there's a better system? <laughs> don't you think there's an easier way to do this? Like, can't we just like maybe plant them in the ground and you just remember to water them every once in a while? Um, that's, I can't figure out why we can't figure out a good way to grow humans, right? And so on top of all that, she's sick and whatever. She blames me for everything that's happening to her. Watch yourself, brother. Watch yourself, watch yourself. Right? She's like, you did this to me. Your kid is making me sick. And I say, whoa, whoa, whoa. First of all, it takes two to tangle in this dance. I can't control how sexy I am. I mean, the majority of the time... In my life, I spend in deep prayer, reading the scripture, and serving 
her every need and just being there for her. So it is a little bit my fault. But it, I feel weird about saying sexy on the stage. Uh, that's as far as I want to go down that path. Um, but we, you know, we were praying for a healthy baby, we were praying for a healthy pregnancy, and it didn't quite work out, and now we're at this place where, like, we have one, and it's still, like, we're not, like, content, you know what I mean? And so recently, we also started a business. Uh, we do horseback riding and skeet shooting and archery, which is funny because I know nothing about horses. <laughs> Guess will ask me, how old is that one? I'm like, hmm. Three, four. <laughs> Missy's like, that one's 22 years old. <laughs> and, uh, but we were praying, we were praying just because we, we had uh, a burden on our heart to have separate income so that we can be a blessing to people. And so the Lord kind of birthed this dream in our heart. So we got a website, we got an LLC, we did all the stuff. And then we realized this is hard. <laughs> Uh, it was like a few months, and I was like, I'm not a millionaire yet. I don't understand what's happening. And so I went through a season of just feeling like a failure. Uh, I didn't know what I did. Why did I buy this house? Why did I buy this house and open a business and get pregnant at the same time? Why did I get this couch? Why do we have we had cable for the past seven months? What? No electricity, no AC, shut it all down, right? I'm feeling like a terrible steward. I'm not smart enough to make it work. And you just, you know, and we all have these things. You're like, God, why won't you change it? Yeah. God, why won't you just make my business work? Can't you just heal my wife so we don't have to go through this? Right. Just do me a solid, right? <laughs> if you've ever loved me. <laughs> and, um, and the truth is, a lot of the times, um, our circumstances determine a lot about our lives. They determine our moods. <laughs> they determine our actions. They determine our value and our identity. They determine a lot of the times our relationship with the Lord. And so unfortunately this morning this message is for me and uh, I'm working through it. But we so easily get tossed back and forth by our circumstances. Right. And as I look Back across the past couple years of my life, I feel that way. And as I read James, I just, James 5, which we're going to go through here in a moment, I just hear this word, circumstance. Everyone say circumstance. Circumstance. All throughout this chapter. And, um, and so in order to understand, I think, James 5, I want us to take a moment and put our shoes, put ourselves in James' shoes. Put our shoes on James. <laughs> Put ourselves in James's shoes and, and think about who he's writing to. Think about the time that he's writing and think about the audience because he was a real person and he wrote it to real people in actual circumstances. And this is always a good practice when you're studying the Bible because it's not just, it's not a self-help book. It, is, it actually happened. It is alive today. And we need to do our due diligence to study it and learn from it. And so Jesus, uh, James is Jesus' brother. We kind of talked about that. And he took a while to come around to the idea of Jesus. Which, who can blame him? How many of your siblings would you accept as the Messiah? <laughs> Not happening, right? And so it took, 
you know, Jesus died, he came back to life, and he kind of showed up in the house of the disciples, and he walks in, and they kind of touch his hands and stuff, and James is like, my bro, I'm so sorry, I was wrong, and he comes um, to the faith, and he becomes a leader in the early church, and um, so he... He becomes the leader of the church at Jerusalem after Peter dies, and he's kind of writing across the known world to Jewish believers. And he's giving a manual for how to live out the Christian life, which is kind of what we've been talking about. And so as we read, I want you to keep in mind these circumstances as he sits and as he writes to his audience. The, the, middle, the Eastern Mediterranean regions during this time in the 50s were gripped by famine. They were gripped by poverty. They were gripped by persecution. Uh, and so James is talking a lot about social justice. He's talking about money. He's talking about food for the poor, clothing them, uh, oppression by the rich to the poor, and just uh, persecution. And so he um, is encouraging his followers. Um, so I just want you to keep that in mind as we go, and I think the Lord will show us something profound on this Palm Sunday. Um, and so we're going to kind of take an aerial view of James chapter 5. How many of you have enjoyed our James series? Yeah. Not me. Every day I go home, I come to church, I think I'm saved, and then I go home like, well, maybe not. Because <laughs> right, James is intense. But hopefully today will be the day that he lines up. Uh, Let's read James 5, verse 1. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you. Eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you have failed to pay. The workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. How many teenagers mow the lawn? Okay, nobody. Um, the cries of the harvest have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. So rough start. Rough start of the first few verses. But as you can see, James is very passionate about living out the greatest commandment. He's warning the rich people they can't just sit and have a bunch of money and do nothing. Okay? He goes as far as saying, you have condemned and murdered the innocent one. Everyone say, ouch. ouch. Um, everyone say, more money, more problems. <laughs> um, so he's warning them not to be consumed by riches, but to be people who are givers. And so, just a side note, if you make, interesting fact, if you make $30,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of the richest people in the world. And so, the majority of people in this room are the wealthiest people in the world. Most of us have cars and cell phones. And, and so, that should be a sobering thought after we're reading that, <laughs> those first five verses. Um, and so, I just want to throw that out there, maybe. Give a little more. There's someone in your life who has it worse than you, and you can do something about it. 
Anyways, that's not even the point. That was free. All right, James 5, verse 7. Be patient. So he kind of switches uh, gears, and he's talking about patience and suffering. He says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who persevered. Everyone say persevered. You have heard Job's perseverance, have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Thank you, James, finally. Uh, and in the next paragraph, we just see him. He's addressing patience in suffering, right? You have to remember, he's writing in a place that is uh, full of famine, persecution, poverty. They need some perseverance. Um, and so if you read between the lines, you can see the circumstances surrounding James as he's writing. He's struggling to feed his congregation. He's in the midst of persecution. He's, he's writing to, to a great socioeconomic gap in this time period where the rich people were seemingly not helping. And we can see in other places in scripture that they took an offering for the church at Jerusalem. But he, we can see the circumstances are not good. It's miserable. Um, and if we zoom out, we can see James speaking to these circumstances. And he's saying, don't let these things control you. If you're rich, don't just be about your money. Don't let that control you. If you're going through persecution in a hard time, don't let that thing define you. Um, many, and many of us can identify with this idea, right? We all have circumstances that we feel like are going to like break us and destroy us. Maybe you're in financial trouble. Maybe you're in the middle of a situation you feel like there's no way out. Uh, maybe you're like the rich people who are consumed with just their life and you don't see anyone else. And maybe you're like the Christians who are persecuted and they're battling for life and they're battling for the point in all this. And so James is writing to the Jews throughout the world and he's saying to you and to me this morning, this is your first point, your actions and emotions cannot be confined by the condition of your circumstances. Woo! That's a good Stephen Furtick right there. Your actions and emotions cannot be confined by the condition of your circumstance. C.S. Lewis writes in Mere Christianity, he says, Now faith, everyone say, now faith, is the art of holding onto things your reason has once accepted, in spite of your changing moods. How many of you got some changing moods? Liars! You all do. He continues and goes, That is why faith is such a necessary virtue. Unless you teach your moods where they get off, you can never be either a sound Christian or even a sound atheist, but just a creature dithering to and fro with its beliefs really dependent on the weather and the state of its digestion. Consequently, one must train the habit of faith. I'm not saying that difficult things don't matter. 
and that you should just ignore them and be happy or act like everything is okay because that's just not realistic, right? But I am suggesting that we so often get swayed by our circumstances. Yes. We get swayed and consumed by the things that are happening. God, why didn't you save my family? God, why are you, aren't you making my business work? Why can't I seem to get ahead? Why won't this problem go away? And we kind of get angry and frustrated at God that he's not doing anything. And we kind of grumble against him like the Israelites wandering around in the wilderness. Where's my food? God, I need water here. And the thing about God is that he doesn't always fix our problems, but he does walk with us through it. Psalm 23 is, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. doesn't say he's going to take us over the valley. That would be nice. <laughs> or around it. We, you and I, walk through it. And a lot of you are walking through a valley today. And C.S. Lewis, he kind of says, this is where faith lives. In the tension. In the place where your circumstances don't match up with your expectations and and this is where oftentimes Jesus makes his appearance. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and evidence of things not seen. And so uh, James and Paul are kind of in agreement on this idea. If you go over to Philippians 4, Paul's saying, The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a great scripture. Yeah. Um, but why is it that it transcends all understanding? It's kind of nice to say. But when you think about it, I just think it's because the reason it transcends understanding is because from the outside, it doesn't look like peace is happening. From the outside, maybe your whole world is falling apart. And people are like, that dude's messed up. But on the inside, you have peace that surpasses understanding. Yes. All this all this garbage is swirling around, but inside you know what true peace is. And James, this is what he's saying. He's saying, hey, you rich people, don't get too cozy with your riches. Give sacrificially. Remember Job? And then he says, and you people who are suffering, have patience. Remember Job? He lost his whole family. He lost all of his wealth. He lost his health. How many of you know the story of Job? Yeah. Sad story. Sad story. Right? But James says, The Lord didn't abandon him. You saw what was brought about. He was restored. Right? And then he says, My favorite line of the chapter, The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And so we're kind of like, now what? Right? Um, he, James kind of takes us on this thing, and he's like, yeah, life is terrible, so get over it. <laughs> he's like, uh, you rich people need to stop what you're doing. You people who are suffering, yeah, just have patience. It's fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? And... Um, but I think in the next section, in the next paragraph, he kind of gives us the answer. He kind of gives us a secret to how we're supposed to do this. 
And so James 5.13 says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so James gives us a pretty simple answer. Are you in trouble? Pray. Having a bad day? Pray. Are you going through a divorce? Pray. Your finances are a mess? Pray. And so again, we kind of see Paul and James, they're in agreement because in Philippians chapter 4, right before verse 7, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, everyone say, in everything, in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. You got a problem? That's good advice. How many of you guys need to pray more? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And um, right now you're probably thinking, wow, Zach, that's really, wow, I never thought of that. You really brought out the big guns for Palm Sunday. Let me tell you. But I think the truth is, it doesn't matter how long you are a Christian, this kind of is always our tendency is to look around and be like, oh my gosh, like, where's God? What are you doing? Hello, I'm here. You know, the, the Israelites walking in the wilderness. There's no food out here, Lord. There's no water. And so, um, but there's, and I think there's a profound thing that Paul and James are trying to tell us. Okay, you ready? This is my favorite part. Okay, uh, they both kind of have a little caveat to how to deal with difficult things. Paul says, the peace that surpasses all understanding. Why does it surpass all understanding? Because it's not super awesome. Like, whoa, that guy's dumb. and He's like a millionaire now. That doesn't make sense. No, it's everything around you is falling apart, and but there's something, there's a peace inside of you, right? And so that's what he's saying. Because your life is a mess. Your circumstances aren't the thing that give you peace. That's why it surpasses understanding. And James... And James kind of says, you need to pray, you need to pray, you need to pray. And then he gives these two interesting verses that say, um, verse 17, Elijah, everyone say Elijah. Elijah. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced crops. So there's an interesting story here. You can't just read over it and be like, oh, Elijah, love that guy. There's a story behind this. There's a reason James said, look at Elijah. He prayed for the rain. And it didn't come, and then three years later it did. And so if you go look at 1 Kings 17, uh, Israel is living under a king who did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Anybody know the king's name? Woo! That's right. King Ahab. And so, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and he said, it's not going to rain until I say so. That's what Elijah says. Um, but during this time, the Israelites were worshiping a god named Baal. Everyone say Baal. 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 I can say, Baal? 
or Baal is the correct pronunciation. And so Baal is the god of agriculture. And it's like, ooh. So the Israelites stopped worshiping God, who is, who is um, the source of their provision. They stopped worshiping Yahweh, who was the source of their provision. And they started the worshiping the thing that was their provision. They worshiped Baal, who was in charge of all the crops, all the rain. And they said, we, we need crops, we need rain. Baal, you must be the God, right? And they, and they left the source of life. And so somewhere along the line, they stopped worshiping. They started worshiping the outcome instead of the one who overcomes. They looked to the thing that would fix their problem, fix their hunger, fix their need. And James and Paul are saying the same thing on how to deal with difficult circumstances. True peace, this is another blank, true peace is not an emotional response to a positive outcome. True peace is a person. This isn't typical peace that you can get from watching Netflix. How many of you like to watch some good Netflix? Ooh, after a hard day, I just want to go watch 10 episodes of Parks and Rec and eat whatever I want to. It's not an emotional fix that kind of dissipates. James is saying to pray. Why? Sometimes when I pray, I'm like, God, you need to fix this, you need to fix this, you need to fix this, and I don't want this, this is kind of off. Uh, if you could help me lose a couple pounds, that would be good. And, you, and I go and pray, and then I just like, I'm more stressed out than when I than before I went in and prayed, right? Because I'm just focusing on all my problems. I'm focusing on all my circumstances. I'm not going to him. And so James and Paul say, pray. And, 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 and so you have to ask why. When you pray, you get closer to God. When you get closer to God, you get closer to peace. You can't separate peace from God any more than you can separate love from God. He is the prince of peace. And so I think it's just a timely message that falls on Palm Sunday. And so I want to read this passage out of Luke 19, uh, starting in verse 35. They brought it to Jesus, which is the donkey. They threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Verse 41, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the holy city, he wept over it. He said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle them on every side. They will dash you to the ground and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone unturned because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And so this is an interesting scene. In Luke, he, he gives that extra 
part where as he approached the city, he wept over it. And Jesus is going into the city, he's on the donkey, and they're kind of like celebrating him and worshiping him. And then it kind of like, the next verse is like, as he approached the city, he wept over it, right? And it's not like you're throwing a big surprise party for someone and they're like, oh my gosh, I love you so much, you guys are the best. And they start crying. That's not what Jesus is doing. He's weeping and he says, if you only knew what would bring you peace. Which means they didn't understand what they were doing. They were worshiping a guy who they thought was going to deliver them from the Romans. And they worshiped that outcome. They wanted that end result. They put their hope in a circumstance. They didn't understand what Jesus really came to do. A.W. Tozer says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What do you think about when you think about God? Far too often I come to him and I want him to change my circumstance. I praise him thinking and praying, my will be done, my kingdom come. And then when he doesn't fix my circumstance, I wallow in my anxiety and grumble against him, right? And band, you guys can go ahead and come on up. But I think we're all guilty of this. We worship the God of Baal in our own lives. Remember, Baal's the God of agriculture. He's the God of just provision. He's the, he's the one that just fixes the hunger. And we put our hope in an outcome. And there are real circumstances that suck. And James was writing to people who were really being persecuted. <laughs> it was life and death to them. And he said, have patience. Pray. Go to the one who is peace. Imagine the disciples as as Jesus has died and their hope is gone and their outcome is drastically different, their circumstances changed because this was the guy who was supposed to deliver them. This was the guy, this isn't how it's supposed to be. And so maybe you're here this morning and in your own life you're thinking, this isn't how it's supposed to be. And so I want to ask a question this morning is, do you go to God for an outcome or do you go to him for him? Do you go to church to get something? Is he a means to an end in your life? And I have to be honest with myself when I ask myself these questions because my actions don't show it and my emotions don't show it. As soon as something goes wrong, I'm like, oh, God, I don't know what you're doing. Are you there? I, like, I freak out. So this morning, I want to end with a question. If you would just kind of close your eyes and bow your heads and just examine your heart, examine your own life. And as Jesus, he, he's riding into Jerusalem and he starts weeping over the city because they don't understand. If only you knew the peace that I could give you, not in any outcome, not in any circumstance, but in me and who I am, in the, in the Prince of Peace. 
So this morning, I want you to think about in your own life, why does Jesus weep for you? circumstances seem bleak. James says the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Even though it may not be what you want, He has your best interest in mind. He weeps for you. He has compassion on you. He has mercy for you. And even though He died on the cross and it seemed over, it wasn't over for Him. And even though things are bleak in your life right now, He has a purpose for you. So, as I've been talking, I just want to take a moment and just respond to this word, respond to the scripture, not respond to the angel, but to respond to what Jesus is doing in the room. And so maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, well, I need some peace. I want to know who this Prince of Peace is. Um, Maybe, you, maybe you've never known this peace. Maybe you don't know who Jesus is. Maybe you've been far from him for a long time. And this morning, I just feel like he's saying to you, if you only knew the peace I had for you. Thanks again for being here with us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, we want to help. You can find everything you need online at onechapel.com welcome. You can subscribe to future messages on your favorite podcast player, and you're always invited to services every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11.30. We'll see you next time.